Carol Strickland. I have been fascinated with the unknown and paranormal realms since childhood. After a profound experience with my grandmother's spirit 20 years ago, I have been on a quest to observe, study, investigate, and communicate with the afterlife and beyond. It's been an ongoing journey of exploration and discovery, one that has taught me how mortality and the spirit world are forever bonded through the veils of time. Live Chronicles here on TKDB Network, WLTKDB.com right there. I am, of course, your host, Nicole Strickland, on this fabulous Thursday, February 24th. And February just went and gone. Well, we have four more days left, but you know what I mean? It just seems like every new month that comes, it goes quicker and quicker and quicker, and it's crazy. Okay, it drives me nuts. But anyways, thanks for joining us tonight on this episode of the Afterlife Chronicles right here, like I said, on WLTKDB. So we're going from true crime, okay, Jeffrey Dahmer, to the history of spiritualism. So if you missed uh, Realm of Darkness there right before this show with host Weenie Rodriguez and Ashley Moreno, that will be archived. I tuned in. It's a fabulous show. They were talking all about uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Very, very, very intriguing uh, stuff. And it makes me wonder what his uh, past background was. Maybe is there any sort of past lives that contributed to his strangeness, if I should say. And what another (laughs) fascinating aspect, I'm not sure if it's really fascinating, but uh, I share a birthday with him. So I'm a May 21st birthday and I read, so was he. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh Gemini's, you know, I mean, we can be good people, I promise. Anyways, so let's move on here. So just a a few announcements here. Of course, I have a new website designed by station manager and producer and radio guru Todd Bates, author Nicole Strickland, go have go ahead and check that out. And then of course, two new shows are coming to the network. Kelly Brickles, The Psychic Hour, uh, debuting, I believe, I might get this wrong. I think it's next month, but it's going to be Wednesdays at one Pacific there. Of course, what I just mentioned, Realm of Darkness, True Crime Show with Rini and Ashley, Thursdays at five Pacific. And then uh, I'm going to be doing or presenting my paranormal investigation and research uh, presentation slash lecture for Facebook's um, Ghost Education 101. So if you just type in Ghost Education 101 on Facebook, they offer all kinds of different presentations about the paranormal asked me to do it. I said yes. So that's going to be March 16th at 6 p.m. Pacific. And then March 12th, I'll be on my uh, good, very good friends, uh, Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell's show. That is Manson Mitchell, uh, Saturday, March 12th at 10 a.m. MansonMitchell.com. And of course, I have to take a swig of my water here. I'm always drinking water here on these shows, folks. And then of course, Next month's already March. So you know what that is? Oregon Ghost Conference, people. Or I can't go up this year. I'm so bummed. But I might be doing a virtual class 
Paranormal Investigation Methodologies, their Oregon Ghost Conference, fantastic conference on the Pacific Northwest. So is uh, Pete Orbea. He's also, of course, a host for WLTKDB, his Port Gamble Ghost Conference as well. Two very fabulous conferences. So OGC, as we call it, Oregon Ghost Conference, March 25th through the 27th in Seaside, Oregon, OregonGhostConference.com. Finally, uh, some of you may have seen on uh, my posts, as well as Marie D. Jones and D Denise Agnew, of course, posted about this. The three of us are working on a book titled Woman on the Fringe, Groundbreaking Women in the Paranormal, uh, which will be published by Black Spot Books in 2023. I was going to say 2003. Hello. 2023. So we're very excited about that. We're featuring... Uh, experienced and dedicated women working in the trenches of the paranormal from ghost researchers, afterlife researchers, uh, cryptozoologists, uh, ufologists, psychic mediums, podcasters, authors, tour guides, you name it, even those that study ancient archaeology. So the full gamut. So we're very excited about that. If you feel you're interested in submitting for this book, feel free to contact myself, Marie or Denise through either email or our uh, social media channels. So anyways, uh, moving on. And of course, follow the station WLTKDB on its socials. We're all over the place. Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. Just with that handle WLTKDB. And then, of course, uh, it's website, WLTKDB.com. And then the Afterlife Chronicles on its Podbean page, afterlifechronicles.podbean.com. And its Facebook page, long handle here. I should probably change that. But it's Afterlife Chronicles and beyond right here on Facebook. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, feel free to email me and we'll get that going. So I thought, you know, I'm, taking, I'm doing solo again tonight. We have some great guests planned for the near future. But I thought I'd talk a little bit about of spiritualism. Now, people since the dawning of man have been interested in life after death. All kinds of cultures from all over the world for thousands of years have been interested in what happens to us when we transition from this plane to the afterlife. Okay, so that's been going on for hundreds of years. So spiritualism very interesting. It was a new religious movement, 1840s to 1920s that proposed that the ghosts and spirits of the deceased did exist and could communicate with the living. That was their whole premise. So it started around the 1840s in the Western and central regions of upstate New York. And then we are going to talk about the Fox sisters, Margaret and Kate Fox. Those are, those two were huge influencers of the movement in a second. But uh, before I go uh, to talk about them, Early religious movements, so we have Millerism and Mormonism, emerged during the Great Awakening. So many people who lived in this in these areas of upstate New York, New York believed in direct contact with God and, and angel, that initial belief in the afterlife. So there are three concepts that spiritualists believed in. So one, they believed that the afterlife is a place where spirits can grow and evolve. They believed that contacting spirits is possible and spirits are thus more advanced than humans. And three, they can help spirits can help relay helpful knowledge and information about morals, ethics, God, you name it. So those were the three premises of spiritualism. And so what's interesting is uh, the Americans who adopted this sort of belief, they believed they had a hand in their own salvation and direct 
cooperation with those who passed offered into the ultimate fate of our souls and what happens for us next once we insert into the afterlife. So uh, very intriguing, but sadly, it's like, there's like a dichotomy here because you hear of spiritualism and you can't help but also hear of fraudulent acts, whether it was spirit photography fraud or psychic medium fraud. So it makes me think, you know, if you take all the people in the spiritualist movement that were accused, I guess, of committing fraud, were all these people intentionally trying to commit fraud or were some of them indirectly maybe committing fraud just because they weren't necessarily conscious of doing it, but it was just they had such a desire to believe that that in and of itself may have lended a hand in, into them committing these fraudulent acts. You know, you have to kind of go beyond that and think of these things. So that lends to the the bias and the power of suggestion. And then, of course, the psychology of belief, what influences our beliefs, right? And by understanding that more, we might be able to shed more light on the beliefs and the paranormal. So just something that my mind kind of thought of when, when uh, you know, reading up or when it does, when I read up on spiritualism and things like that. So there are a lot of key players in this movement. Hold on. Telling you, me and my water during the shows, folks. My goodness. I have like three bottles lined up here ready to go. Oh my gosh. Anyways, so let's start with Emanuel Swedenborg. I'm going to go through. There's so many. I mean, we'd be here for five hours tonight if I mentioned every single person that influenced this movement, but I'm just going to briefly go through some of the most popular that, that you'll hear of. So Emanuel Swedenborg, he was a, a Swedish scientist and statesman. He was born in 1688. So he thrived during the Enlightenment period. And this is a period when people preferred academics and uh, logic and reason as opposed to religious teaching. So he wanted to understand the intricacy of the spirit world by exploring the physical world. So he claimed that his sixth sense was open. And during nightly dreams, uh, he communicated with angels and spirits uh, ascending staircases into heaven, if you will, or into the spirit realm. So he claimed to he claimed that he was permitted to understand the dying process and be awakened in spirit. So this allowed him to understand what happens to the soul after death. And uh, another intriguing aspect of this too, which in a way matches a lot of the NDE accounts, near death experience accounts, is he said that the spirit world, according to his experiences, was very similar to the physical world an earthly landscape, but more alive, more vivid with bright colors and, and that sort of thing. So that matches one of the aspects of, of that, that people have that NDE survivors have uh, from all walks of life, children, adults from all different cultures. One of the common claims is that they experience almost an earthly paradise, but it's more lively. It's more vivid, uh, bright colors, different colors than than what we can see here in the mortal realm. Uh, another aspect is that our imaginations can shift the landscape of the afterlife depending on our culture. So this uh, Swedenborg guy here, Swedenborg guy, listen to me, you know, that kind of matches NDE accounts. So that to me makes his, uh, I guess, testimony, this headband is driving me nuts right now, my goodness, uh, This uh, Ted, uh, his testimony about, about the afterlife a little bit more believable. 
And then you go into uh, Franz Mesmer. He was a Viennese doctor. Seven, I think he was born in 1734, died in 18, I think 15. So he developed animal magnetism or magnetism, which was a psychological, physical practice. So he proposed that all things in the universe and human body were governed by this magnetic fluid that could be imbalanced, causing illness. And I think it was called... Leben's magnetismus, I believe, if I'm pronouncing that right. So he had this practice where he wave his hands over a person's body. He would then induce them in this mesmerized hypnotic state. And then he that would allow him to find where in the body that magnetic fluid was interrupted. And then he could provide some a physical healing. So he was a huge influencer. Uh, and so what happened is a lot of amateur mesmerists started to, to uh, sprout and they would try to practice the same sort of procedure that he did. And uh, some people during these hypnotic trance-like states would claim to have visions of spirits and, uh, and ghosts and, and those in the afterlife. So very, very interesting information here. Now let's move into the, you can't hear, you can't talk about the spiritualist movement without mentioning uh, Kate and Margaret Fox, two sisters. I believe Kate was 11 and Margaret was 14, if I have that correct. They lived, they were from Hydesville, New York. So upstate central New York, they claimed to have psychic abilities and uh, in their house actually. And it started, it was, I believe, March of 1848. So they were upstairs in their, in the very, very small house that they lived in, upstairs in their bedroom. And they claimed to experience these uh, knockings and these rapping sounds. And so they convinced a neighbor to come by the home so they could demonstrate these sounds. And so the neighbor joined them, a very, very skeptic, but joined them. And then Margaret started these demonstrations. So this eventually led into them being a huge, huge influencers of the spiritualist movement. They went on to live with their older sister, I believe, in Rochester, which was another area, of course, hot with reform and religious activity. The sisters were then invited by, um, what were their names? AZ, Isaac and Amy Post. They were community leaders in that area to hold public seances uh, for groups as large as around 400 individuals. So back to their house, they felt that they were communicating maybe with the, the deceased uh, earthbound energy of a peddler that was murdered in their house. Now, years later, it was discovered that, I mean, bones were discover, discovered in, in the basement area, I believe. Hair was discovered in the basement area, but nothing to officially identify that as, a, as human skeletal remains or anything like that. I think chicken bones were found. So it wasn't ever documented or confirmed that it was actually a, a deceased uh, peddler, so to speak. So they started these very um, popular public seances for, for many people. And uh, so and then came I'm trying to like summarize this because I could go on and on and on about them. American seer uh, Andrew Jackson Davis invited the sisters to his home, and then he helped them with conducting other seances for the public. I mean, they embarked on this entire professional tour, going to different cities uh, to spread word of communicating with the spirits and, 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 and demonstrating how they, you know, conducted their psychic mediumship abilities. And so they both admitted to fraud 
but then they recanted that later on. Maggie actually married an explorer by the name of Elisha Kent Kane, and she converted to Catholicism. Kate's business boomed, especially after the Civil War. I think it was something around 2 million more people after the Civil War and dealing with the loss of uh, family members and so on believed in spiritualism and around uh, by the 1880s around 8 million spiritualists existed in the US and Europe. So uh, Kate then eventually demonstrated how they would produce these rappings and these tapping noises. And so I'm just going to read a little bit of uh, a phrase here. So Kate offered a demonstration removing her shoe and placing her right foot upon a wooden stool. The room fell silent still and was rewarded with of short little raps. There stood a black-robed, sharp-faced widow, the New York Herald reported, working her big toe and solemnly declaring that it was in this way she created the excitement that has driven so many persons to suicide or insanity. One moment it was ludicrous, the next it was weird. So, uh, you know, I mean, I were they psychic mediums, innate psychic mediums that were just kind of duped by the popularity aspect and, and, and all of that. I think that they probably did have some innate psychic ability, but just fell into that desire to, to be known and to be influencers. And so a quote here directly from Maggie, this headband, I'm telling you, it's going to fall off my head. Anyway, she said, uh, my sister Katie and myself were very young children when this horrible deception began. At night when we went to bed, we used to tie an apple on a string and move the string up and down, causing the apple to bump on the floor, or we would drop the apple on the floor, making a strange noise every time it would rebound. A great many people, when they hear the rapping, imagine at once that the spirits are touching them, she explained. It is a very common delusion. Some very wealthy people came to see me some years ago when I lived in 42nd Street. I did some rappings for them. I made the spirit rap on the chair and one of the ladies cried out, I feel the spirit tapping me on the shoulder. Of course, that was pure imagination. So there, and this reference was from the Smithsonian. So there was a lot of, um, they admitted to the deception. I think, like I said, there was some innate talent there, but just the, the desire to become popular during the movie, all of that, I think, uh, interfered with uh, them being a little bit on the authentic side, sadly. But there have been books written about them, uh, and there's, I mean, th that was just the bare bones about them. I mean, there's so much more information you can read about the Fox sisters. Uh, anyways, I'm looking at the time here. 619, let's take our first break. You are tuning into the Afterlife Chronicles here on the WLTKDB Network. We will be right back. Stay tuned. Deeper awakening to eliminate your limits. Two world-class coaches come together for a retreat in Wisconsin's beautiful North Woods. Meet Christina Bloom, spiritual advisor. Christina's extensive experience in helping her clients with spiritual growth and deep emotional healing comes together with Brian Coppock's proven four-pillar system to eliminate your limits. With their combined expertise, Brian and Christina will guide you through a weekend journey to transform your life to achieve both physical and spiritual balance. Save the dates, April 21st through 24th. 
held at Blackscliff Resort in Hazelhurst, Wisconsin, a premier resort in Wisconsin's beautiful North Woods. For more information, email Christina at ChristinaBloom.com. So 20 minutes past the hour here on WLTKDB.com. You are tuning in, of course, Live Chronicles here, and I'm your host, Nicole Strickland. I have to get better at the comments. I'm seeing some familiar faces in here. Linda Myers, hello. How are you doing? Shiana, hello. Uh, Ashley Moreno's in there. Rini Rodriguez is in there. So I have to get better at posting the comments. So I apologize. My goodness, it's something I need to work on. So Anyways, before the break, uh, I did had some announcements and, of course, started getting into a little bit of the history of spiritualism. There is so much to know with the history of spiritualism. My goodness. I mean, I probably could do like 25 shows just on the history of spiritualism and one show for each influencer, if you will. So I'm giving you the bare bones on some of these very famous individuals associated with the spiritualist movement. So moving on, you have Sir Arthur Conan course, uh, very famous for the Sherlock Holmes creator. He believed greatly in the work of psychic mediums after participating in a seance in 1880. Uh, the spiritualist periodical light in the spiritualist periodical light, he said it was absolutely certain that intelligence could exist apart from the body. And that after weighing the evidence, I no more doubt the existence phenomena that I could doubt the existence of lions in Africa. So very, very uh, profound quote there. So his interest in the realm grew after he had a personal message from his own Kingsley, who passed away from pneumonia, being injured in the 1916 Battle of Somme. He was a founding member of the Hampshire Society for Psychical Research, and he ended up touring Europe uh, and in America, I believe, to preach the wonders of spiritualism and the afterlife. So moving on, of course, you have Thomas Edison, iconic inventor and spiritualist. Uh, he was uh, he had something like around over a thousand different patents by the time of his death in 1931. He was the inventor of the phonograph, the incandescent light bulb, as we know, the motion picture camera, as well as the first industrial research laboratory. He created a spirit phone or telephone to the dead of talking with spirits. So he, his claim to fame was combining technology with spiritualism. And he said, uh, this is him actually talking. He said, in a nutshell, a hundred trillion of them regarding life units, I must say. So regarding life units, he said, in a nutshell, a hundred trillion of them make up a human being and keep us functioning. When we die, the life units move on to something else or someone else, he said. So again, very profound. He was actually aroused from his coma and told by those at his side that he found life after death. He said that he saw the other side with his own eyes. So very, very uh, profound information. Moving on, you have Alfred Russell Wallace, a very multifaceted ind individual here. He was a British naturalist, explorer, biologist, illustrator, geographer, anthropologist. So he's known for conceiving the theory of evolution through natural selection. And he also experimented with uh, Franz Mesmer's um, mesmerism, if you will, uh, or animal magnetism as well. 
So he conducted or commenced his study of spiritualism in the summer of 1860, partly due to his sister. I think her name was Fanny Sims influence. He felt that the belief in the movement was connected to a natural reality. So some phenomena were genuine, regardless of controversy. You just couldn't escape the fact that some phenomena uh, was gen genuine. I think that's actually a very healthy way to look at it. So he desired to find a rational, of course, and scientific explanation for all phenomena of the natural world. Later on, we'll talk a little bit about the Society for Psychical Research, which was formed as a direct result of the spiritualist movement. He advocated for spiritualism, uh, which sadly did hinder his scientific reputation, but nonetheless, he advocated for it. So I commend him for that. Uh, another fascinating individual that you've probably heard of attached or connected to the movement was Mary Todd Lincoln. So in the White House, she practiced spiritualism as a way to cope with the loss of her, her uh, second son, Willie or William or Willie. So she was introduced to the Lorries. They were very well-known mediums during that time. And she started conducting her own seances afterwards in the Red Room in the White House. And so this is what she said, and this is actually from WhiteHouseHistory.org. White House she says, or said, I should say, Willie lives. He comes to me every night and stands at the foot of the bed with the same sweet, adorable smile that he always has had. He does not always come alone. Little Eddie, her son, little Eddie, her son that perished at the age of four is sometimes with him. So I love finding these little quotes because they add more, I guess, flair to their background. Now, uh, moving into, you can't hear of spirit without delving a little bit into spirit photography. William Mumler, he was a Bostonian spirit photographer in the mid 18, or the 1800s. He's well known for producing the first uh, alleged, or I should say alleged spiritual photograph, first authorized spirit photograph, his cousin who passed away 12 years prior. He fueled, he was one of those individuals that fueled the spiritualist movement. He had, or he did a lot of uh, uh, photography experiments uh, where he lived. So, and a lot of these photos showed spirits and that's, and those photos actually were met with a lot of controversy. And like, uh, who did I, who, yeah, it was Franz Mesmer, Mesmer who attracted uh, amateur mesmerists, if you will. Same thing with William Mumler. From his work, others followed claiming to capture spirits and photographs, and, and, and uh, a lot of these photographs were proven to be faked and fraudulent. The more majority of them were. Uh, so then you're getting into a process. You, you see these photographs, many of them historical photographs, and you see the substance coming out, out of their mouths. We all know those are the, that are paranormal know about ectoplasm. And there were so many different ways that these photos, you, you look at them and you think they're real, but there were so many deceptive uh, ways that these photographers used to try to convince us of activity. But again, most of them were fraudulent. So ectoplasm, right? You can't uh, the movie Ghostbusters with ectoplasm. Crazy, right? Gosh, this headband I should just take it off. Anyways, so the biology definition, it's a non-granulated outer part of a cell cytoplasm. So it is technically a biological definition that is real. Now, from the bio biological definition, you go to the paranormal definition of uh, a viscous substance that exudes from a psychic medium 
skin during a trance-like state, that which forms into the manifestation of a ghost or spirit, liquid to material odor may be present. Something called the actinic force, which was used by psychical researchers as a way to scientifically explain psychokinesis or PK, the mind's ability to influence an object in seances or the mind's ability to, to influence an object. Um, this was used in seances. Uh, so this unidentified fluid in the human body that could be released. Now, they used things like cheesecloth, uh, textiles with potato starch, paper, cloth, egg whites, butter, you name it to try as deceptive ways to try to hint at, oh my gosh, look at, I actually have real ectoplasm coming out of her mouth when in fact, most of it was fraudulent. And so many psychical researchers exposed the mediums during these seances, obviously not scientifically verified, but you know, a lot of people think, oh, ectoplasm. Okay. That's just some made up word, but actually there is a biological definition, of course, that being the non-granulated outer part of a cell cytoplasm, right? So we're going back into biology in high school or biology in college when, whenever you took it. So moving on, um, more individuals connected with this movement. And again, there are so many, I mean, I'm, I'm only touching on, like I said, some of the, the, the individuals that you more commonly hear of during the spiritualist movement, Harry Price, you can't uh, not mention him. He was a psychical researcher author. So a lot of modern day paranormal research has further developed from the spiritualist movement and from the work of Harry Price, uh, mostly known for the Borley Rectory. I think he stayed there for about one year and did a one-year investigation. So we're now in, into the 1920s. He uh, was involved in the Society for Psychical Research, and he formed the National Laboratory for Psychical Research in 1926. He used all kinds of different methods in his research. He used uh, magic skills and x-ray equipment to try to debunk fraud scams. He used temperature sensors, musical instrument, instruments during seances. Uh, he was also an amateur uh, in, inventor in the way that he used some of those skills and knowledge of mechanics, the telekin, I can never say this word, telekinetoscope, if you will. It's kind of a hard word to say. So he, Harry Price actually established the blueprint for paranormal research from the Borley Rectory case. And like I said, we're going to get to the Society for Psychical Research in a little bit. They have, I mean, to this day, modern day paranormal researchers are using blueprints and, and protocols and standard operating procedures from what was developed from the Society for Psychical Research. So let's uh, forward here a little bit to the Borley Rectory, just because I mentioned it. So uh, again, famous with Harry Price, it was dubbed the most haunted house in England. It was built in 1862 to house the rector of the parish of Borley and his family. It was damaged by fire in 1939 and demolished in 1944. So intriguingly, hauntings originated ever since the building, you know, was built. But it now this kind of lends to the whole how strong bias and power of suggestion can be in this field. It, these reports of hauntings at the Borley Rectory strengthened in 1929 after the Daily Mirror newspaper published Harry Price's visit. 
And Harry Price also wrote two books about its hauntings. So there you go. And then that's something we have to pay attention to as researchers, how bias and power of suggestion and influence can influence the experiences we have. So it would have been interesting, let's say that that newspaper never printed anything about Harry Price's visit. Would the hauntings and the reportings of those hauntings, would they have strengthened like they did? Probably not. So very intriguing there. So the Society for Psychical Research investigated and rejected most of the sightings as either imagined or fabricated, but nonetheless, you cannot deny Harry Price's influence, uh, not just during the spiritualist movement and shortly after, but of course on modern day uh, um, paranormal research. So let's go back up here, um, get back to, okay, so Harry Price here, and then you we, we move on. William Crookes. He was a British chemist and physicist. So he was known for scientific inventions in uh, paranormal research. He was at one time the president for the SPR, uh, psychical, uh, the psychical research. So he used and informed or made the which was a light mill that measures electromagnetic kind of radiation. So almost like a precursor to a modern day EMF detector, if you will. And then he experimented with the Crookes tube, which was electrical a discharge tube, which measures the electrical field and fluorescence of um, light and that sort of thing. And so I actually am using some of my because I have I I took from different um, PowerPoint presentations that I that I have, and I'm actually looking at the pictures of these instruments right now on this PowerPoint slide. Very cool stuff. Gosh, it would be fascinating to use the instruments of, of that time period in today's research and to see if those early instruments would yield some of the same results that some of our modern day uh, gadgets do. That would be fascinating. So moving on, and I do have an EVP with this individual because, right, Harry Houdini, famed magician. So again, we're in the 1920s now timeframe. He was known for working hard to try to debunk fraudulent mediums. So originally, he was not a believer in the paranormal, but he contacted mediums to try and make contact with his deceased mother. And so he then realized that a lot of these mediums were fraudulent or performing fraudulent acts. So he set out to expose them and he developed his Houdini's a fraud prevention cabinet where he would have the medium go in and there's, I have a picture of it on a PowerPoint slide, uh, but you, he had this cabinet where he, they would go into and it would prohibit them from trying to do any sort of weird trickery or fakery or anything like that. So he featured uh, spiritualistic manifestations during his stage shows to depict. So he would depict how these fraudulent mediums would deceive the public. So, Another interesting aspect is he made a pact with his friends saying that upon his death, he would make contact from the other side, even his wife, Bess, at one point. So one of their favorite songs, I believe, was Rosabelle. So he made a contact, well, he, he made a pact with his wife and said, okay, if I come back from the other side, I'm going to use the code word of Rosabelle Believe. Sadly, that never happened. His wife, Bess, had early seances conducted, I believe, around Halloween or on Halloween to try to contact Houdini, but sadly never actually made that contact. Now, this is fascinating. So in 2009, 
uh, as a part of Troy Taylor's Haunted America Conference in uh, Decatur, Illinois. Uh, Troy has been doing those conferences for years. He even actually had one out in San Diego uh, as well, Haunted America Conference West Coast, which I was very lucky to present at, of course, presenting about the Queen Mary. That was amazing. I can't believe that that was 12 years ago. My goodness. And so Ghost Research Society, headed up, of course, by Dale Katzmerich, um, I actually went out uh, to work with the GRS during that summer in 2009 when we went to the Lincoln Theater here where Houdini performed. And uh, it was really fun. I can't believe, gosh, 2009, so many, oh my goodness, time flies. So I was there for two weeks and we did a lot of investigations and then, of course, went to uh, Troy Taylor's Haunted America Conference in Decatur, Illinois. And so we were able to, GRS was able to conduct an overnight investigation of the very famous Lincoln Theater there in Decatur. Uh, Nicole Tito and Lisa Crick, uh, two great friends of mine, fabulous paranormal researchers, fantastic with EVP and ITC research and, and the Estes method. The three of us were down in the basement of the Lincoln Theater during this investigation. It was just the three of us confirmed down there. And we were conducting a group EVP session. So I had my recorder going, Nicole had hers, and Lisa had hers. And what's uh, fascinating is that Nicole and I both captured this EVP that I'm about to play, but yet Lisa did not. I believe because she had hers on voice activation mode, that might be why. But that right there, having two individuals capturing an audio clip and one not, if it was a human voice of this magnitude, you would think all recorders would have captured it. And of course, we're meticulous researchers that we are. We uh, were keeping track of our surroundings. It was just the three of us down there. We were notating any ambient sounds, or if we talked, we would notate that. So we didn't hear this at the time, which is definitely a BP because with electronic voice phenomena, that is, it's not heard by the human ear at the time of recording, but later on during review of your audio data, you may hear a, a word or phrase that was not heard audibly at the time. I believe it's me asking the question, what are you going to perform tonight? And then you'll, you're going to hear an answer, which is depicts an intelligent answer. And then me again saying what are you getting ready for so this is <laughs> this is probably one of the best class a top-notch evps that i've ever captured and i have many but this is this is up there so here you go what are you going to perform tonight magic what are you getting ready for what are you going to perform tonight magic what are you getting ready for Magic. 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 I'm just going to play it again because it's that cool. What are you going to perform tonight? Magic. What are you getting ready for? What are you going to perform tonight? Magic. Ready for? Magic. 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 So as you can tell, what are you going to perform tonight? And the EVP of magic occurs right after. And then, of course, me saying, what are you getting ready for? You can tell right in that clip that I'm just oblivious to this answer because it was not heard at the time. So there's a connection with Houdini, like I mentioned, in the Lincoln Theater. He actually performed magic at that theater way back in the day. And you can actually still, and I have a picture of it, you can still see the hook 
or the hooks, I should say, from his performances in the basement ceiling. So was the, I'm not claiming that this was his voice per se. I mean, you'd have to do some extensive forensic voice analysis to really try to figure that out. Now, I know, I think it was Nicole that said one of her friends uh, who used to, I'm not sure if I have this exactly correct, but she knows someone that uh, I guess worked at the Lincoln Theater and that individual listened to this particular EVP and, and said that that sounds like a, a former manager, I believe, or some former employee of the theater as opposed to it being Houdini but you can't dismiss you know maybe maybe it is him I mean with the whole the whole answer of magic being that he performed there and it's a theater very cool EVP so I thought I'd play that again I mean I've <laughs> I've conducted EVP work at all kinds of places private homes hospitals businesses historical sites this to this day is reigns in the top three EVPs probably the top a class A EVP that I've ever captured. So a lot of this fraud during the spiritualist movement really fueled uh, the, the formation for the Society for Psychical Research. And so the website, I believe, is www.spr.ac.uk. So it was formed in London in 1882. It was the first scientific organization to examine claims of psi experience paranormal phenomena. So it formed to try and disprove the fraudulence occurring during the spiritualist movement using scientific analysis. So a lot of modern day research using uh, scientific methods, if you will, as opposed to esoteric or metaphysical uh, are, are bloomed actually from the Society for Psychical Research. So they investigated investigated claims running the gamut of telepathy, intuition, apparitions, hauntings, you name it. So Frank Podmore, as well as two other co-authors, and I'm blanking on their names right now, shame of me, shame of me, shame on me. I mean, so they had a two-volume study where they analyzed 700 plus personal experiences. And if you go on the, the Society for Psychical Research website, I mean, they have annals and annals of articles and information about the protocols and, and the, the framework that they use for investigating phenomena scientifically, if you will. And a lot of people cringe at the word science and scientific and all that and paranormal. I personally believe that if done correctly, if done meth methodically, I think that the scientific method per se can be applied to paranormal research again if used uh, if used correctly. So they uh, the whole society established a framework for the study of anomalous phenomena that's still adopted in today's research of course. So it can still conducts field work into the study of anomalous phenomena. Check out the website. there's I mean there's just a ton of information on there. Uh, another, I forgot to mention too, another, uh, another um, location, or I think it was involved, not Harry Price, but another um, event that the SPR investigated that was well known at the time was the Enfield Poltergeist. And I forgot to mention that, which was at the address 284 Green Street, the council house in Brimsdown, Enfield, London, England, between 1977 and 1979. So there were two sisters. One was named Kate, but of course not 
linked to Kate Fox. Just um, I think Kate was a very popular name. It still is. So two sisters age 11 and 13. Uh, SPR, they started experiencing uh, activity in the home. Uh, the single mother of that house, her name was Peggy. She witnessed furniture moving. She witnessed knocking sounds on the walls, disembodied voices, loud noises, toys that were being thrown of their own volition, overturned chairs, levitating kids. And 30 people actually saw heavy furniture moving, saw some of these thrown objects, saw some of this levitation. So the SPR, some members of the SPR were, were, uh, were asked to come in. And so some of them were torn on the authenticity of these events versus events actually deceptive. Now, it sounds like it could be a combination of both. Janet, one of the daughters, was found to participate in deception. A video camera actually saw her bending spoons and, and attempting to bend an iron bar. And then she also was seen banging a broom handle against the ceiling, maybe to try to mimic uh, knocking sounds, if you will. And so she also was seen hiding one of the researchers' tape recorders. So, and another fascinating aspect is she had a habit, I guess, of changing the topic of conversations. And then one of the voices that she claimed to hear, she dubbed him Bill. Well, that voice also had the uh, the uh, personality of trying to uh, change topics as well. So it makes you think, okay, well, you know, that's probably her, you know, mimicking that voice and blah, blah, blah. So it makes you wonder, you know, I think a lot of these events, um, some of them obviously were fraudulent, some of them were deceptive, but what I was alluding to earlier with the desire to be, to have belief in, in phenomena, or maybe as a way to try to draw attention to themselves, people were deceptive, but not necessarily malicious. But again, it was that strong desire to believe and maybe be popular and all of that. So I'm just noticing the time here. We are due for our second break. So you are tuning into the Afterlife Chronicles here on the WLTKDB network. So let's take our second break. Stay tuned and we will be right back for the remaining 15 minutes. Stay tuned, folks. Looking to launch your new masterpiece? Then try something new with Moonbow Publishing and Production. At Moonbow, we have a strong desire to serve authors in a powerful and meaningful way. After all, you poured your heart and soul into your writing and we fully understand and respect that. Remember this. You will own the copyright to your work. You will have the final say on your work before being published. Even after all of that, we've saved the best for last. We won't take a percentage sold. Nope, not a penny. Excited about MoonbowPublications.com yet? We thought so. Take advantage of our company's services like book editing, formatting, and covers, publishing, and photography. Moonbow Publishing and Productions has everything you are looking for in a company. Remember, we will not keep any commissions. We are a boutique publishing company focusing on spiritual, health and wellness, and personal growth genres. Moonbow Publications and Productions, a new kind of publishing company. 
Okay, 48 minutes past the hour here on WLTKDB.com. And I have, I, I live in San Diego, of course, about 10 minutes from Miramar. And so there's a jet flying overhead. So I apologize for that sound if it's loud for you. So uh, the last about 12 minutes here of the history of spiritualism, the very rough history of spiritualism, I should say. So I do want to reiterate the importance, you know, what the SPR has helped you know, us achieve in modern day research, the need for structured protocol for just protocol for a general paranormal case study, but protocol for individual methodology, methodologies used as uh, sphere photography, videography, uh, environmental monitoring, audio experimentation, you name it, standard operating procedures, uh, unbiased objective research, right? You have subjective and you have objective. So objective uh, data, for example, is uh, EVP uh, snippets or, or ITC uh, captures, uh, photographic uh, anomalies, uh, situated shadow figures, for example, on video cameras or environmental monitoring uh, captures that may coincide with some sort of alleged anomalous event. So that's all objective then you have more of the subjective, what I consider subjective data, whereas, uh, you know, our, 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 what, what our intuition is telling us, if we're sensing an emotion from a spirit, if we're feeling a certain pain in our body, maybe in our chest, and that maybe we're investigating in an area or a site where an earthbound or a spirit was shot in the chest, for example. So things like that, more subjective. Both, in my opinion, are equally important to the entire paranormal case study process. So where I'm getting at, for me, and everyone's different, you have the, and again, a lot of people cringe at this word, but I'm using it as a way to make a point, scientific objective sort of research, following some sort of scientific protocol. So using gadgets such as, you know, environmental monitoring um, to monitor ambient temperature and, and EMF and, and, and static electricity, for example, uh, uh, static cameras, infrared cameras, full spectrum cameras to monitor our environment. That's all, uh, you know, along the lines of more of a scientific sort of approach in this field. But I also feel blending in with that to give it a more holistic approach is the esoteric and the metaphysical. You, I, this is my belief. I don't think that you can ignore your innate intuition as we all have it your innate psychic senses when doing this work. If you're going to ignore that, then you're you're really at a disadvantage. You're putting the entire case study in jeopardy, in my opinion. You have to include both the science end of it and the metaphysical and the esoteric. So using your, your own innate intuition, using uh, items such as pendulums, uh, divine rods, bringing in crystals, various crystals that are sentient beings themselves, things like that, and combining those two into one case study, I think can really lend to a lot more, many more results or a lot more results than just focusing on one or the other. So that's, I wanted to bring that in there. I think it's very, very much needed to be like that, to have a holistic mindset when uh, investigating the paranormal uh, very, very important there. Um, I know we're about seven minutes out. I had a few more individuals here to, this was, now we're going beyond, of course, um, the 1920s, 
but I, I don't think we're going to have time for that. So I just want to maybe mention briefly a little bit about, you know, we have to, as researchers, pay attention to some of the trends going on now in paranormal research, whether it's whether you're a ufologist or you're or whether you're a ghost researcher, afterlife researcher, you name it, pay attention to the trends, uh, the different types of experimentation that are being developed, uh, the different types of methodologies, different uh, technological trends. Speaking of technological trends, more equipment is being introduced to the field, which obviously have pros and cons. I'm of this belief that less is more. I think if you're going into a location and you have every single gadget known to mankind and you lay it all out, you're, you'd be surprised you're spending eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours paying attention to all that equipment, which is great. That's what that's going to help you a lot. But yet it prevents you from really paying attention to your environment, which is another key aspect of a paranormal case study. Um, Vigils, if you were, if you will, paranormal vigils are equally important, if not more important than what our gadgets are telling us. So paying attention to these engineering and these technological special uh, specialists um, that can augment or change a device for paranormal research. Some of those changes can be helpful and they can hinder us in many ways. So and then, of course, the aspect of there's really no such thing as a ghost detector. There's not one device out there right now that can that is <laughs> that can black and white detect ghosts, right? It's maybe thought to do that, but you can't ever come out and say, "Well, yeah, there's a bunch of ghost detectors out on the market. That's not the case. And just the uh, the reminder that even with all of these protocols set in place and with all of the the um, adjunct equipment that we use, I want to remind you, and I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but that's fine, whatever, we have five minutes left, to really focus on yourself because you as the investigator are the best piece of equipment out there. You, with your intelligence and when, with your own innate psychic senses and your own innate intuition, can really bring a lot to the table during a case study. So documentation is key. Documenting your personal experiences. They tell a story. These personal experiences, like I said earlier, this subjective data is equally as important to a case study as an EVP is or an anomalous photograph. These stories help to put the pieces of the puzzle together or may help to put the pieces of the puzzle together. These stories can match and, and, and uh, be similar to what other people have experienced. So document your, your personal experiences, document your psychic experiences, and of course, pretty much everything that goes on, documentation is key. Uh, more and more people now are wanting to become higher in tune with themselves and really develop their five senses as well as their sixth. So this is definitely going to help in the future of paranormal research. And then, of course, like I said, embrace metaphysics. I think it's very important to embrace, meta embrace metaphysics. I think uh, just the mind-spirit connection is so strong. And if you, as an investigator, have that, those three connected and in tune with each other, you are going to yield some fantastic results on that investigation. So let's see here. Um, and then of course, you know, I want to end too by 
seems as though, and again, this is kind of a tangent from the spiritual movement, but I'm going with it. Nowadays, with everything going on uh, with our pandemic and, you know, obviously last night's event uh, with, um, I don't really want to mention it too much on air, but we all know what's going on uh, across the globe, across the pond, if you will, which is just tragic. It's disgusting what's happening out there. Um, you know, there's this parallel relationship between us mortals and those on the other side. And, and I'm even, even those that aren't necessarily human, maybe interdimensional beings, you want to bring in ETs, ultra terrestrials, if you will. I think there's the, this, this connection here. There's this cosmic relationship that's really growing. And I think we need to foster and really move closer to trying to examine why more people are interested in the paranormal and why we are getting more results and experiences with uh, the paranormal. So there's, and that's a whole different uh, topic altogether, but I wanted to, to mention that. And just the reminder that we're all a part of the collective and shared universe. And so perhaps those in the afterlife and beyond know this, and they're trying to impart these teachings. And so pay attention to that on your case studies when doing, when, when doing your work. So a cosmic shift, an influx of spirit communication and connection, and maybe that cosmic shift started, maybe it's been that way for hundreds of years. Maybe it was that way during the spiritualist movement, and it's just now getting stronger and stronger and stronger. One last thing, too, speaking of paranormal case studies and working on paranormal investigations and whatnot, leave ego out of it, please. So ego, just a small letter word three-letter word, which can destroy a big letter word called relationship. And that's what we're doing as researchers. We're building relationships with ourselves. We're building relationships with our fellow researchers. And of course, those that we uh, communicate with from beyond. So two minutes left here. Please. So March 3rd, Marie D. Jones and Denise Agnew are coming on. I'm not sure exactly what we will talk about yet. Probably look at some other stuff. March 10th, Robert Lindsay, and then March 17th, of course, and another Jets flying by. I apologize for that. Rocky Smith, president of the Oregon Ghost Conference, will be coming on to tell us all about this year's. It's such a great conference, guys. I am so bummed I can't physically be up there this year, but I'll be there. And so that's about it. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this show. I do apologize. I am recovering from COVID. So I have the COVID brain fog. So if I was a little disjointed, I apologize. But you know what? Tincture of time, folks. Tincture of time. So here at the Afterlife Chronicles, we are bridging the gap between mortality and the afterlife, one experience at a time. I hope you guys have a great weekend and we will see you next week. Bye.